Welcome to The God Solution, where we discuss answers to humanity's questions about God and God's answers for humanity's questions. I'm Nate Herbst, and I'm excited that you're listening this morning. Well, it is our biannual pledge drive here at KDUR, and I just want to put it out there right from the start. If you love The God Solution, call in now and pledge your support to help keep the show on the air and to let KDUR know that you appreciate their support of this show. You can call in right now at 970-247-7262. That's 970-247-7262. Again, 970-247-7262. And make your pledge. Make sure to mention that your favorite show is The God Solution when you call. Bryant is standing by, ready to take your call, ready to take your pledge for The God Solution. Thank you so much for supporting the show and keeping us on the air. Again, if you want to make your pledge right now, you can call 970-247-7262. You could also do it online at kdur.org. Again, kdur.org. So call now and make your pledge in support of The God Solution. Thanks again so much for keeping us on the air. Well, I hope you enjoyed last week's show, the top five questions that students ask and answers to those questions I enjoyed doing the show. It was fun to kind of revisit some of those questions that we hear a lot. And I enjoyed it so much that I kind of got into a top five mentality, a little bit of a top five theme, if you will. And I thought I'd just carry that through one more week. But we're not going to do the top five questions this week, obviously, because we did that last week. But I thought a good top five that would be fun to deal with would be the top five lies atheists tell. So it'll be a funny show, but it's going to be legitimately true. I mean, all these things are things that atheists will tell you with a straight face. And some of them are absolutely unbelievable. And you've probably even heard them, even in popular media. If you watch the Discovery Channel episodes on the beginning of the universe or how the universe came to be, things like that, you'll hear Hawking talking about everything coming from nothing and things like that. That's one of the lies that we'll deal with today. But there are five big lies, and of course there are many, many more that atheists are fond of, but there are five big ones that I thought it would be good to start out the show talking about today. So the number one lie that you'll hear from atheists is that everything came from nothing. I mentioned it a minute ago, and it doesn't get any better than that. Literally, it doesn't take all that much intelligence to realize that something doesn't come from nothing. And everything surely doesn't come from nothing. It doesn't take that sharp of a scientific mind to realize that this is a contradiction of the first law of thermodynamics, that we can't create matter or energy. But the reality is that atheists will try to tell you that everything you see came to be from nothing. We know that the universe began a finite time ago, And we know it began to exist out of nothing. So the atheist, not wanting to posit a supernatural cause, would have to say that everything came from nothing. And it actually gets even worse than that, because it is crazy to say that everything came from nothing. But this also contradicts not just the first law of thermodynamics, but also the law of causality. Because now we're not just saying that something came from nothing, but we're also saying that there is an effect without a cause. Both of these things are absolutely crazy. I think it's R.C. Sproul that says once your debate 
opponent starts contradicting things like the law of causality, just hand them the microphone and let them keep on going because they're hanging themselves with what they say. And it's kind of true. When atheists start saying everything came from nothing and something that began to exist does not need an explanation, that's crazy. Okay, so some of the people saying these types of things, well, you've heard Stephen Hawking saying these things, betraying a bias. He's definitely intelligent. Nobody would argue about that. But when he says these things, I don't think it's because of a lack of intelligence. I think it's because of a presupposition of metaphysical naturalism. He's committed to a world and a universe without God. So he goes about finding a way to try and say God did not create this universe. He knows that in order to get around the reality of a creator, he has to say that everything came from nothing. So who cares if it makes no logical sense and if it violates the laws of nature? I'm going to run with it anyway. Everything came from nothing. So that's the first big lie that we hear from atheists. You've heard it from Stephen Hawking. Michael Shermer is another one, the editor of Skeptic Magazine, who famously said that nothing created everything or that everything came from nothing. And then later actually defined nothing as energy, subatomic particles, quantum fields, turbulence, things like that. Well, obviously, we all know that all of that is not nothing. That's like saying something came from nothing if you define nothing as something. It's as crazy as it sounds. But literally, that's what many are being told in order to try and get out of the reality of God's existence. So everything came from nothing is absolute nonsense. It is the atheist's favorite lie. And it is impossible that something, much less everything, could come from nothing. So that's the atheist lie number one. When you hear it, don't believe it. Because your common sense is correct. Something doesn't come from nothing. The next big lie that you'll hear is that there are 400,000 errors in the New Testament documents. Yep, 400,000 errors in the New Testament documents. When I first heard that, I thought, I don't think there are that many verses in the New Testament. What are you guys talking about? And it's definitely correct that those supposed number of errors far outnumber the number of verses in the New Testament. And it's not true that there are 400,000 errors in the New Testament documents. Let me tell you kind of what's going on here so you get a feel for how this lie came to exist. People would say that there are nearly 6,000 ancient Greek documents of the New Testament. Now, that's not the entire New Testament, but it's parts of it. Some of those documents would be whole New Testaments or whole books. Others would be fragments. But there are about 6,000 Greek manuscripts. Additionally, there are about 18 or so thousand translations into other languages of those New Testament documents. So we have somewhere around 24,000 of those New Testament documents from which we can translate the New Testament we have today. Now, additionally, we have over 80,000 quotes of those New Testament documents from the early church fathers from which you could reconstitute the entire New Testament minus about 11 verses if all those other documents were lost. So do we know what was originally written? Absolutely. Is it a problem that we don't have the original documents? It's not a problem at all. In fact, if we had the original documents, you could 
very easily change theology and doctrine by going back to the original and adding a word. Let me give you an example. John 1.1 says that Jesus is God, very plainly. The Jehovah's Witnesses not believing that Jesus is God and their translation of the Bible, which isn't even a translation. They had three individuals with no training or expertise in the field required for translation that just basically took an already translated English Bible and made alterations that they wanted to make and then panned it off as a translation. Well, the Jehovah's Witnesses, one of those alterations they made was adding the word A into John 1.1. So no longer do we read that Jesus is God, but Jesus is a God. So big, big, big alteration there. They went from the theological truth that Jesus is God to a theological deception that he is not the God, but just a kind of a side God, right? Or a less important God, an angel, if you will, and they actually believe he is an angel. And so they made that change to one verse in order to prop up their bad doctrine, in order to prop up their belief that Jesus is not God. Now, if we had the original Gospel of John, which we don't, the earliest manuscript evidence of John we have comes from about A.D. 112, which is about 22 years after the Gospel of John was written, so it's surprisingly early and accurate. But if we had the original, we could go back to the original and add an A in, just like the Jehovah's Witnesses did to their supposed translation. We could change all of doctrine if we had that original. Since we don't have the original, we have to rely on 24,000 other manuscripts, copies of the original, in addition to 80,000 quotes of the original from early church fathers. Well, there's no way you could possibly change 80,000 quotes of the New Testament plus 24,000 manuscript copies. We're talking about having to alter hundreds of thousands or over 100,000 documents to make your theological change. So because we don't have the originals, because we have so many copies of them, we actually have a safeguard against change. And I think God divinely inspired that safeguard. Additionally, we can't worship or praise or venerate the original document. If we had the original document, we might look at it with an awe and respect that should be due only to God. So that's why we don't have the original. But we do have these 24,000 manuscripts from which we translate our modern versions of the Bible. And so what some skeptics would do is they look at those 24,000 manuscripts and they say, well, let's find all the errors in those manuscripts and make it look like those are errors in the New Testament text. Well, here's the problem with that. There's not a Christian alive that believes every manuscript of the New Testament or the Bible, for that matter, is accurate. Just like I mentioned, the Jehovah's Witnesses have altered their versions of the Bible over 300 times, changing things, omitting things, adding things. And I would be crazy to say that every single copy of the Bible is accurate. There are some people that have malevolently changed things, other scribal errors that were made along the way. That's fine. The reality is that we have such a large volume of documents that we can see where those errors are. So it's no surprise to me, nor to any biblical scholar or New Testament scholar, that there are errors in the various manuscripts. Nobody says there aren't. 
what we say is that because there are so many manuscripts, we can see where those errors are. Let me give you an example. And Bart Ehrman tries to use this example to scare people. He says there are 400,000 errors in the New Testament. Let me give you just one example. The woman caught in adultery. Jesus says, let him who has no sin cast the first stone. Well, here's the problem with that passage. It's not in any of the original documents. It's also not quoted by any of the early church fathers. It's also found in four different places in the later manuscripts in which it's found. So that short passage in John 7:53 through the beginning of 8 is not an original part of the Gospel of John. It's a later edition. If you look in modern translations of the Bible, they'll have that marked out. They'll have the whole thing in italics, and they'll say this is not in the original. So we know it's not. Unfortunately, many pastors still preach from that passage, leading many Christians to hold it dear as a passage that they believe is in God's word. So Ehrman, knowing that that's not in the originals and knowing that New Testament scholars have known that for centuries, will capitalize on the fact that it still gets preached on. He'll say there are 400,000 errors. Let me just give you one example. Here's just one example. And now, if you didn't know that was a problem, you'd be left going, what in the world? Is all of it just a lie? No, it's not. See, the 400,000 so-called errors in those 24,000-ish manuscripts that Ehrman is talking about are usually things like spelling changes that occurred naturally over time. For example, Old English would spell color C-O-L-O-U-R. Modern English spells it C-O-L-O-R. We've dropped the U. Well, if that word or a Greek version of it existed 3,000 times in those 6,000-ish Greek documents, and an alternate spelling existed in the other 3,000 documents, Ehrman would say that's 3,000 errors. Well, that's pretty poor description of what an error is, right? That's nothing but a spelling change that happened over time because language changed. It's not an error at all. In fact, out of those supposed 400,000 variants, 98.5% of them are not even translatable. There are spelling changes, punctuation changes, things like that. Things that wouldn't even be translated when translating the text into another language. And the remaining 1.5% that are translatable are like the passage I just shared with you from John 8. We know that that's not in the originals. So because we have such a wealth of manuscripts, we can understand and know what was originally there, what was originally not there, and we can know every aspect of Christian doctrine with confidence. None of it has been changed. All right, so lie number one that you'll often hear from the atheists is that everything came from nothing. We know that's crazy. Lie number two is that there are 400,000 errors in the New Testament documents. Again, no, there aren't. We can trust with confidence what's written in the New Testament and in the Bible as a whole. Tune in next week to hear our interview with Dr. Daryl Bach. Dr. Daryl Bach is one of the world's foremost scholars on this very thing, and he's dealt extensively with Ehrman and others trying to criticize the reliability of the New Testament. He actually just came out with a book that does just that, that he co-authored. It's called Truth in a Culture of Doubt. I'll ask him about it next week. But tune in next week to hear more from Dr. Daryl Bach. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The God Solution on KDUR 91.9 and 93.9 FM in Durango and KDUR.org online. I'm thrilled that you're listening to this morning's show on the top five lies that you'll hear from atheists. 
it is also our fall pledge drive. And I'd love to have you call in right now and pledge your support of The God Solution to help keep this show on the air. You can call in right now, 970-247-7262. That's 970-247-7262. Again, 970-247-7262. Bryant is right here in the studio waiting to answer the phone, waiting for your phone call in support of The God Solution. Make sure to call in right now, 970-247-7262 to pledge your support. Let them know that The God Solution is your favorite show on the station and make a donation to help keep us on the air this morning. You can also donate at kdur.org online. So one more time, you can donate right now by calling 970-247-7262 or by going to kdur.org online. Please make a donation this morning in support of The God Solution and make sure to mention The God Solution when you call. All right, so we're talking about the top five lies that you'll hear from atheists. Lie number one was that everything came from nothing. Lie number two was that there are 400,000 errors in the New Testament documents. We talked about how both of those fail, and you can hear more about that at godsolutionshow.com. All right, the next lie that we'll often hear from atheists, albeit from less informed or less scholarly atheists. This might come more from the internet atheists. But this third lie is that Jesus didn't exist. And I didn't even want to put it here because no sane, educated atheist would ever say this. But there are some loud and obnoxious internet atheists out there that make this claim. And for some reason, people actually believe it. So did Jesus really exist? I've talked to many college students that seem to think that's a historical question mark. It's not. We have a wealth of evidence for Jesus's historical existence. The big skeptic that I just mentioned previously, who says that there are 400,000 errors in the New Testament documents, wrote an entire book on this topic called Did Jesus Really Exist? And in that book, he, as a skeptic of Christianity, literally says... If you believe Jesus didn't exist, you're a mythicist. So even though he is not a believer in Christ, he is honest enough to let the public know that if you doubt Christ's historical existence, you're a mythicist. In other words, you cannot sanely doubt Christ's historical existence. And that actually comes from one of the biggest critics of the Bible alive today, if not the biggest critic. So the reality is that Jesus did really exist. In fact, we have nearly as many extra-biblical, secular, historical accounts of Jesus as we do of Tiberius Caesar, who ruled the known world of Jesus' day. If you add in the Christian and other historical references to Christ, some people would say, well, you can't include the New Testament documents and things like that. Of course we can. They were eyewitness accounts. If you include those Christian accounts and others, we have nearly four times as many historical accounts of Jesus than of Tiberius Caesar, who ruled the known world of his day. The historical evidence for Christ's existence is absolutely overwhelming. And there is no way that anyone who has studied the evidence could come away from an actual legitimate study of history saying that the evidence for Jesus is non-existent. So did Jesus really exist? He absolutely did. And if you hear someone saying he didn't, that is a lie. It is not true. 
And today it's the third lie that we're dealing with that atheists like to tell. So the first three lies, everything came from nothing, 400,000 errors in the New Testament documents, and Jesus didn't exist. They're all wrong. Okay, let's go to the fourth big lie that you'll often hear from atheists and skeptics. That's the lie that the evidence for the resurrection is irrelevant. I am so surprised how often I hear this both in private conversations with atheists and in public writing from atheists. What's just unbelievable to me is the atheist will look you straight in the eye and say, it doesn't matter if there's evidence for the resurrection because I don't believe in resurrections, so I don't care what the evidence says. Now, Irma, again, I hate to just pick on the poor guy, but he says just that in his book, Jesus Interrupted. He gives an alternate theory for the resurrection, which is crazy, and he says, does my theory make sense or is it plausible? And he says, absolutely not. It's not plausible, but he says it's more plausible than a resurrection. In other words, he's importing his presupposition into his conclusion. I start out by not believing in resurrections. I look at the evidence for the resurrection. I realize that the evidence for the resurrection is compelling. But instead of actually dealing with evidence, I just write it off because I said in the beginning, I don't believe in resurrections. That sounds insane. It sounds crazy. But it's literally how the atheist has to respond to the compelling evidence for Christ's resurrection. I don't have time to get deep into what that evidence is this morning, but it is indeed compelling. You could go to godsolutionshow.com and look at some of the interviews I've done with Dr. Gary Habermas, the world's leading expert on the evidence for the resurrection, who's debated many atheists on that topic and clobbered them all. You could also look at my interviews with Dr. Mike Lacona, who is also a world-renowned expert on the historical evidence for Christ's resurrection. All right, so the first four lies that we've dealt with, one, everything came from nothing, nonsense. Two, 400,000 errors in the New Testament documents, nonsense. Three, Jesus didn't exist, nonsense. Four, the evidence for the resurrection is irrelevant, nonsense. It's very relevant. Christ did rise from the dead, and that gives me a new hope that there is more than just this life. We can have hope and confidence not based in a leap of faith, but in the historical reality of Christ's resurrection. So that brings us to the last lie of atheism, and that's that atheism is more satisfying. Atheists say that atheism is more intellectually satisfying than theism in general and Christianity in specific. That's nonsense. In fact, you have to believe some big whoppers to be an atheist, like the four that I've previously mentioned, including this one, that atheism is more satisfying. If I believe that everything comes from nothing and that the law of causality is irrelevant, etc., 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 then I can't possibly be intellectually satisfied. I'm believing grand lies at best if I believe those things. Now, having a degree in chemistry, I have to have answers. And it's not okay just to say, oh, it just happened. I don't need a better answer than that. If you believe that, as an atheist has to, then you can't possibly claim to be more intellectually satisfied than the Christian who agrees with the law of causality and the first law of thermodynamics and the consistency of natural laws and so forth. Additionally, atheists would say that atheism is practically more satisfying. Specifically, they would argue, when it comes to the issue of sex. 
I would argue they're dead wrong. In fact, the prevalence of STDs today and the prevalence of broken relationships today are all the evidence you need that sex outside of the relationship in which God gave it to us is not satisfying. In fact, it's absolutely earth-shattering and heartbreaking. We used to have posters that we put on campus that showed a pile of condoms, and it said, too bad they don't make one for your heart. And that's true. I believe when it comes to practical life, including the area of sex, Christians are much more satisfied than any atheist alive. I know I am more satisfied with my wife and in my marriage to Aaron than I ever could be any other way. All right, finally, spiritually. Well, of course, atheists couldn't even possibly pretend to be satisfied spiritually, but all humans have this need for spiritual sustenance. And as Christians, that need is met. As atheists, it's ignored and to their own detriment. So is atheism more satisfying? No, that's a lie. It is not more satisfying. You could go to thegodsolutionshow.com again and look at Justin McBrayer's interviews. Justin McBrayer is a professor of philosophy right here at Fort Lewis College, and he did an interview with me last year, a two-part interview. The first part, he talked about why atheism is not satisfying, and then the second part, he talked about how theism is satisfying. Good couple of interviews, and I would encourage you to go listen to them. So the top five lies that you'll hear from atheists, one, everything came from nothing. Nope, it didn't. Two, there are 400,000 errors in the New Testament documents. Nope, there aren't. Three, Jesus did not exist. Wrong, he did. Four, evidence for the resurrection is irrelevant. Nope, it's very relevant because of the evidence for the resurrection. I can know confidently that there's hope for me that supersedes just this life. Finally, five, the fifth big lie you'll hear from atheists, is that atheism is more satisfying than Christianity. That's wrong. As Christians, we have intellectual, emotional, practical, and spiritual satisfaction on a level that atheism can't possibly reproduce. All right, those are the top five lies that you'll hear from atheists, and I really want to bring this home to you. Like I just said, as Christians, there's so much more that we have to rest our hope on. We have real evidence, we have real history, and we have real satisfaction. We have a real God who really did come and live a perfect life and really did die on the cross for our sins and really did rise again to give us real hope. If you've never put your faith in Christ, you can do that right now by saying, Jesus, I know that you are who you say you are and that you died on the cross for my sins. I ask you to come into my life to be my Savior and Lord. Forgive me. Thank you for rising again to give me new life. Please make me the kind of person you want me to be. The Bible says if you put your faith in him, verbalizing that this morning through prayer, you've been adopted into his family, forgiven, and you can look forward to an eternity with him in heaven and a life of meaning and purpose with him on this planet. All right, well, I hope you enjoyed this morning's talk on the top five lies that you'll hear from atheism, and you'll hear those and many more. So be a critical thinker when you hear these things. Think about them. Ask questions about them. Is it really possible that everything could come from nothing? Nope, not possible. Be a critical thinker and develop those critical thinking skills so that you'll be able to catch these lies and others when you hear them. All right, again, like I said, this morning is KDR's pledge drive, so I'd ask you right now to call in and pledge your support of the God Solution Show. Don't wait. Don't say I'll do it later this week because it might not happen. And you really have an opportunity now to do something great. 
This station, in a very unique way, has supported this show. How many secular stations do you know of that allow someone to get on and actually share the evidence for the Christian faith? This is unbelievable to have this kind of support from a station like KDUR and from a school like Fort Lewis College. Thank you, Bryant and John and Rachel and everybody at KDUR for your support of this show. I want to ask you, the listeners, to do your part, to call in right now and pledge your support of this show and this station that is doing something so awesome. Call 970-247-7262. Again, that's 970-247-7262. Again, 970-247-7262. Bryant is waiting for your call right now in support of The God Solution Show. Call, make your pledge, and let him know that you love The God Solution Show. Again, you can do that at 970-247-7262 and make that call right now. You could also go to kdur.org online to donate there. And make sure also to mention The God Solution if you donate online. Well, I'm so thankful that you are supporting this show. And I'm so thankful for your donation this morning that helps keep us on the air. Thank you for doing something so special. Well, like I always say, an open mind, honest heart, humble disposition, and diligent search always lead to Jesus. And that's my hope, that you'll find him this morning if you haven't, and that if you have, you'll grow closer to him as well. Don't forget to call in 970-247-7262 to make your pledge. Again, 970-247-7262. Thanks again.